Hi, welcome to part two of week's three lectures. In this segment, we're going to look at the intersections of race and wealth, particularly how social structures intersect to maintain wealth inequality for black populations in the United States. The readings you were assigned for this week shed some light on how wealth is distributed and accumulated within uh, the United States and how this inequality in wealth distribution is built into the social structures of the American of American and Canadian society. Shapiro illustrates the power of wealth at the individual level by sharing stories of four families. These families have similar and dissimilar incomes and illustrate the role that assets or lack of them play in a family's quest for well-being and for prom promoting opportunities for their children. Shapiro is known for the coining of the term transformative assets. Transformative assets are the money that is acquired through family that allows for social mobility beyond what current income levels would allow for. So for example, the story of Catherine illustrates how wealth um, helped, wealth, her family wealth helped her with opportunities that were beyond what her income would allow for. At the core of this argument is that wealth is distinct from income and that wage inequality is key to understanding racial stratification. With this in mind, Shapiro described this wealth perspective as challenging a standard part of American ideology, that similar accomplishments across individuals re result in equal rewards, or the American dream. And um, this challenge is evidenced in the limitations of income for social mobility. So I'll outline some key aspects of um, Shapiro's wealth perspective and why it is so important for understanding racialized stratification systems. First, like I've mentioned, a distinction is made between wealth and income. So wealth refers to the total value of things a family owns minus their debts, whereas income includes earnings from work, interest and dividends, pension and transfer payments. As the four stories illustrate, the distinction between wealth and income is significant because one, the wealth, wealth signifies ownership and control of resources, and the other, income, represents salary or its replacement, for instance, government payments, social assistance, or pensions. This distinction between income and wealth is relatively new in terms of interest. The difference between wealth and income is often muddled in the public mind. Further, wealth has been neglected within social science research as an indicator of economic and social status of Americans in general and racial minorities in particular. Most research, rather, has historically analyzed racial inequality as imbalances in the distribution of power, economic resources, and opportunities, with focus on the economic dimension uh, an emphasis on jobs and wages. So this research, although the, this is a val these are valid areas of concern, this research has neglected the effect of wealth disparity and inheritance on the differing opportunities and well-being of white and black families. However, beginning in the 1980s, research, although wealth is still um, lesser researched, 
Beginning in the 1980s, researchers and other knowledge producers like journalists began treating wealth as different from income and as, in, as an indicator of family well-being and also of racial inequality. Sherpo suggests that much of what Americans do is motivated by wealth. It grounds their life chances and provide enduring advantages and disadvantages across generations. So that is an important aspects, aspect, that wealth can provide enduring advantages and disadvantages. Wealth ownership is described as the single dimension on which whites and blacks are most persistently unequal. In fact, uh, in the current context, data from the 2016 U.S. Census revealed that black Americans' wealth is only 9% uh, that of whites. In 2006, the median net worth of non-Hispanic white households was $143,600. The median net worth of black households was only $12,902. And thinking about this further, Native American wealth has not even been measured since, um, since 2000, and at this time, their median household net worth was just over $5,700. Wealth is, a, is critical to a family's class standing, social status, whether they own their own house or rent their housing, the kind of community, the community they live in, and the quality of their children's schools. What this means is that wealth can allow people into social class positions that their income cannot. So for instance, Catherine Although she, her income was near the poverty line, she, her wealth that she acquired from her family put her into different, a different class position than Vivian, who is also near the poverty line, but would be considered working poor. Understanding the distinction between income and wealth is essential for understanding the generational impact of wealth ownership. So income is a tidy, valuable gauge, gauge of inequality. Further, reducing racial discrimination in job promotion and pay is definitely an effective way to narrow racial inequality. Most people use their income for food, shelter, clothing, and other necessities. Therefore, not having enough income for these purposes is definitely a disadvantage. However, Shapiro illustrates that wealth is not only different from income, but it's also used differently and has different implications. Wealth is considered a storehouse of resources that, be, that can be used to secure what has been framed as the good life. It's not used to purchase groceries or pay phone bills or those other necessities that income is used for. Rather, it is used to create opportunities, secure a desired stature and standard of living, or pass this class status along to their children. So Vivian and Catherine's stories, like I've mentioned, um, illustrate this distinction. Both represent single income families with women having similar incomes near the poverty line. Yet their stories represent very different opportunities for their children due to their differing assets or wealth. It is obvious that these two families with similar incomes but widely different wealth assets are not identical. Shapiro found that individuals framed assets differently depending on the class. So working class and poor families use wealth for life support, to cushion bad times, and to meet emergencies. 
generally sharing the dream that assets will give them freedom from a situation, ease a difficulty, relieve a fear, or over overcome hardship. Middle class families, in contrast, use their assets to provide better opportunities that advantage them, viewing assets as power and freedom to leverage opportunities. However, both viewed wealth as an essential aspect of their well-being and opportunities. Yet wealth income is regularly or is rarely, sorry, taken into account in public policy. For instance, policies tend to consider jobs and uh, even employ employment in terms of playing the fields and transfers that sub substitute for income. Changing the lens of analysis to wealth would dramatically shift policies' perspectives on poverty and provide new tools for understanding inequality in the form of asset poverty. For instance, using the asset poverty line measurement, Shapiro found that over half of black Americans fell below the asset poverty line in 1999, something that is generally missed when just looking at uh, income, inequality, income inequality. So now we're going to um, look at more specifically at the racialization of wealth distribution. The racialization of wealth distribution stems from the understanding that wealth is generational. It represents the past, the present, and also suggests the future. In other words, wealth can represent inequalities from the past. It, it can be used as a measure of contemporary differences in resources and can also suggest how inequalities will play out in the future. A focus on wealth sheds light on both historical and contemporary impacts not only of class but also of race. While income is also a good indicator of current status of racial inequality, an examination of wealth discloses the consequences of racial patterning from opportunities over time and the historic roots of wealth inequality. So looking at the historical roots of wealth inequality, until the 19th Amendment in 1865, slavery, slavery legally prevented black people from building wealth. In 1935, the Social Security Act excluded farm workers and domestic workers from accruing benefits. At this time, most black, still, most black people still lived in the U.S. South, where they were more likely to be farm workers and domestic workers. As a result, two-thirds of black people never received Social Security's wealth-building opportunities. Until the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Jim Crow laws continued a caste-like system in the South. These laws, caste-like system as well as segregation, these laws detailed what jobs black people could take and how much they could be paid, further limiting wealth accumulation. The legacy of the Jim Crow laws created structural inequality that has been difficult to erase. Further, despite the, despite the Civil, Raw, Civil Rights Act and other laws, discrimination against black people owning wealth has continued today. For instance, welfare programs such as the Transitional Assistance for Needy Families and the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program forbid beneficiaries from acc accumulating wealth. As well, in some states, beneficiaries can't save more than $1,000 or own cars worth more than $4,650. These are just a few examples. Evidence of the racial patterning of opportunities and the historic roots of wealth inequality is illustrated in the Macy and Denton chapter that was assigned for this week. 
and the segregation of black Americans that continues to shape wealth building among racialized peoples today. Although Massey and Denton's book was framed more in terms of practices of segregation and the ghettoization of American cities, which will come in handy for next week, the discussion also provides some insight into both the processes of unequal wealth distribution and the impacts, particularly the historical, the historical roots of wealth inequality and the role of strategic ghettoization on wealth accumulation over time. Home ownership and high quality affordable renting housing are important tools for wealth building and financial well-being in the United States and Canada. Knowing this, American lawmakers have long sought to secure land or land for or reduce barriers and expand the wealth building capacity of property ownership and affordable rental housing. But these efforts have almost exclusively targeted and benefited white households as the Massey and Denton article illustrate. For instance, policy, these policies have often removed people of color from their homes, denied them access to wealth building opportunities, and even relocated or segregated racialized people to isolated communities. Across the country, historic and ongoing displacement, exclusion, and segregation continue to prevent racialized people from obtaining and retaining their own homes and accessing safe and affordable housing. Since the early 20th century, structural racism in the U.S. housing system has contributed to stark and persistent racial disparities in wealth and financial well-being between black and white households. In fact, these differences are so entrenched that a report provided to the Institute of Policy Studies estimated that if current trends continue, it could take more than 200 years for the average black family to accumulate the same amount of wealth as its white counterparts. Now, in terms of the chapter we looked at today, for today, Massey and Denton situate their discussion of segregation and ghettoization and housing inequality, which are all aspects of building wealth, within the context of the Great Migration, which was a movement of six million people, African Americans, out of the rural southern United States um, no northward between 1916 and 1970. The great migration of people from the south to the north reflected a combination of push and pull factors where the Jim Crow laws of the south were pushing people out and the economic opportunities of the north were pulling people there. Although black workers were being pulled north, white workers approached this migration with hostility, often racialized violence and discrimination. The ghettoization of black peoples within American cities began during this time. This ghettoization was not simply a result of growing numbers or a reflection of black housing preferences or a natural outcome of the migration process, but reflected strategic and systematic exclusion-based practices of residential segregation. Residential segregation created a sharp divergence in the availability of both social and economic resources between affluent whites and poor and middle-class black people. This is particularly evident in the housing practices and policies that Massey and Denton discuss as prohibiting wealth accumulation in the form of housing assets. 
For decades, governments and private citizens employed exclusionary tactics to prevent black people from building wealth through this home ownership and affordable housing. Through formal policy decisions, discrimination and racism in the housing practices and even violence. As the stories from as the stories of the families from Shapiro's article illustrated, wealth is accumulated over time. When groups of people are kept from creating wealth through discrimination and white supremacy, disadvantage and privilege are perpetuated and a racialized wealth gap is created. As a result, contemporary wealth inequality along lines have race have been structured over many generations through systemic barriers of Jim Crow laws, institutionalized racism like housing policies, and neighborhood segregation generally. Okay, so that's all for today. Next week we are going to look um, more in depth at segregation and gentrification and the impacts as um, part of a stratification system.